What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Where would you like me to start? Um, what if we started at The Music Began, Whitney Houston's So Emotional? Okay, perfect. The award-winning drag queen, Sasha Velour, is out with a new book. And one of the most amazing scenes from this book is when she writes about performing an iconic lip sync on RuPaul's Drag Race. Now, welcome back to the stage, Sasha Velour and Shea Coulee. Bring back my girls! It's the finale of season nine of Drag Race, and Sasha has to kill this lip sync to remain in the competition and get one step closer to the crown. But this performance, it was unlike any other drag performance you've ever seen because of the roses. Good luck, and don't f*** it up. The music began. Whitney Houston's So Emotional. Even though I had practiced it over and over, this performance still felt like the first time I'd ever mouthed those fateful words. I accidentally ripped the entire rose apart on the first downbeat, but it didn't matter. I was tingling with emotions. In the middle of lip syncing, Sasha rips off her gloves and rose petals seem to burst from her hands. I looked RuPaul right in her stoic eyes. All I could see was light. I started to crawl toward RuPaul picking up petals with my long white marbled nails and flicking them into the crowd. I growled as I stood up and sent my wig flying backward. And then, at this high point of the song, Sasha pulls a red wig off her head and she shakes it. And rose petals fall out of the wig like the gayest rain. Rose petals tumbled across my eyes and down my face. I even gnashed my teeth. The crowd loses its mind. I stepped forward like a supermodel, transforming into something different, something irrepressible. The final reveal was the biggest I could muster. Bald, bold, high femme me. I'm Sam Sanders, and on this episode of Intuit, bald, bold, high femme Sasha Velour. We talk about her new book. It's called The Big Reveal, an illustrated manifesto of drag. Why do you already know Sasha? She won that season of Drag Race, and she's been producing drag shows for years all over the world. Her new book is full of stories from her life, but also in this book, Sasha gives a history of all of drag, like going back to the Mesolithic age. It's pretty impressive. We talk about that history and more about Sasha's drag journey, but got to start with talking about what it feels like to release a book all about drag at a moment when politicians are actually making drag illegal. Did you expect this kind of timing for the release of your book all about drag? 
it has exceeded or disappointed even my biggest expectations for yeah. where culture would be. But I did know that that we would be in a moment where we would be defending the right of queer and trans people to exist, the freedom of young queer people to like find resources and find information. I think the writing has been on the walls for the last couple of years with the attacks against trans medical care and in schools with the attacks against reproductive freedoms for women. These things always go together. Mm. And for better or for worse, drag is a stage where we like bring light to these conversations and where we also kind of have to experience the results of the legal and cultural oppressions of the time. Why the criminalization or push for that? Now, though, you know, you write in this book, drag's been around forever. It's seemingly in America right now more popular than ever. You know, the show that brought you fame, Drag Race, it is arguably one of the most successful reality franchises of all time. So if drag is more popular now than it's ever been, why is it under attack at the same time? I just, I don't understand. That's probably why that Uh. it became so visible It's like we take steps forward and then get pushed backwards. The excitement around drag has inspired young people, all kinds of people actually, because we get older people at our shows too who are discovering drag for the first time and falling in love with it. And that inspires like a freer attitude. Drag is all about who you are, what you look like, where you were born. Like that is not how to judge someone. Your life should not be written into stone based off of what you've got. It's all about what you can transform into and what you can come up with and how you pull it off. And that gives people freedom. And I think freedom is really threatening for some people because they maybe they worry they'll lose the power that they have if society changes. And drag really is advocating for some changes to happen in society to make room for more kinds of voices, for different kinds of art, different kinds of queer people to be in the spotlight. Um, yeah. And we're seeing it everywhere. Has anything about the way politicians have come after drag recently surprised you? Or does the playbook feel incredibly familiar? Uh, I guess it just surprises me how old-fashioned it is that people can still fall for accusations of like drag being too sexual or perverse for young people. Because like so much of culture is like filled with sexual imagery and... Drag is like, if anything, like kind of tamer than ever these days. Well, yeah. And it's also a caricature and almost cartoon send up of sexuality. When I see drag, I'm not seeing queens saying, look at how sexy and lusty I am. What they're saying is, isn't this all kind of funny? Isn't this yes. all kind of funny? Aren't these boobs funny? Isn't this butt funny? Isn't this makeup funny? What is gender? Yeah. What is sex? LOL, let's laugh. Right? Yeah. That's what I get and, from it. And fabulous and joyful too. Yeah. Like maybe we do, maybe you know the butt is funny, but it also, you know, makes you feel great. So exactly. go for it. But it's this kind of feeling great that feels bigger than like horniness. It is Absolutely. a it's for me, it's about like feeling comfortable in the contradictions of the very notions of gender and just playing with that and feeling proud in all of that. I don't know. I don't need to tell you what drag is, girl, you know. No, please. Everyone. No, that means so much to me. I think you're so right. And you you got me thinking like it's also about 
you do it for yourself, not not exactly. to arouse people necessarily. Maybe what you're doing for yourself does make someone else think in a new way, and that's great. But what we we're all just living our own fantasies. There you go, and encouraging other people to do the same with some bops. Yeah. And you get a Whitney exactly. Houston song on top of it. Who is mad at this? <laughs> <laughs> Who is mad? <laughs> anywho, anywho. You know, some people just do not understand glamour and it gives them very painful, sad lives where they yeah. feel like they need to attack people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we start with the history of it all? You know, I thought I knew yeah. drag history, but reading your book, you trace drag all the way back to the Mesolithic Age rituals <laughs> from yes. Central Asia and Siberia. Those first mentions of drag in the book, describe that for our listeners. Where was it? What were they doing? Did they have a name for it? There were different names for queer expression and performance all over the world in pre-colonialism in indigenous societies on every continent. Mm. Our access to this information is complicated and we can't always know how people identified, but it's clear that people were using costume and performance as a way to express fluidity. And for a lot of these societies, like for the shamans in Siberia and Central Asia, or for indigenous healers like the Mapuche Machi in South America, it was like considered a spiritual task to be able to step out of binary gender and inhabit something beyond Queer and trans people were venerated around. They were the, the world. healers. They were the, the healers. healers. They were the mystics. They had. They were in touch with the divine. What you're writing in yeah. the book is that, like, it wasn't just that there were people playing with the fluidity of gender from like day one. They were doing so in a way that put them on a higher level than their peers. They were yeah. on a higher plane because of the act of doing this. Right. So it, it was a way of being normal, but also kind of special in society and, and needed and desired. And then it was really colonial expansion and imperialism that brought criminalization of that for the first time. Even though Europe had its own traditions, um, when Christianity and empire came around the world, they used queer expression, gay people, trans people as like evidence of the way in which these societies were backwards and needed to be imprisoned and killed. Well, and this is what I really hadn't thought about too long and hard until I read this book. Like, what really changed it all was just, like, the arrival of widespread Christianity. All of right. this binary, you write, comes to us through the Christian church. Yeah. All the while yeah. they're copying traditions of drag performance to use in passion plays because they want people to show up to the church for religious holidays. And they're like, okay, we know a costume reveal and a dress and a little drag. So then they start having priests and peasant guilds put together drag shows where there's like a drag queen playing Noah's wife just because they wow. know that's going to bring people in. Yeah. So yeah. But like only in this it. one setting, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's like exactly. the Catholic church doesn't believe in drag and queer freedom. Yet, yeah. They'll let you have Mardi Gras once a year, and on that day, right. go crazy, baby. Go crazy. It's like they know that this speaks to people, and they have to figure out a way to like somehow still oppress it and have space mm. for it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, 
those moments spill over and like in you get one day to try drag, but it stays with you. It's like all how so many drag queens start out as Halloween queens. We get our one moment to try it and it puts <laughs> yes. something in your head and then you can't stop because it is you can't so stop. natural. When did the word drag become the word that we use to describe a lot of this stuff? And what is the etymology of that word? And when did it take hold? I'm obsessed with this discourse because like people don't agree and I've okay. gotten into fights with people about it. Love um, it. I, it definitely comes from English or from Europe, at least. And it's probably from Polari, which is this famous Victorian code language that mm. gay people and criminals, are basically people criminalized <laughs> by the system, working class people, yeah. actors, spoke with each other to be able to talk about illegal things. But I like the idea that it comes from coachman slang because they would say putting on the drag meant breaking a carriage. Like if you had horses and you're like, you're working the carriage and so you like pull a lever oh, and it slows down the like carriage. Like the parking brake. Yeah, you like pull the drag, put on the drag, put huh. on the drag of the carriage. And like they were using it ironically because people would have to walk so much slower in their gowns <laughs> going out. <laughs> That's cool. And I'm like, probably coachman, anyone like, operating like a carriage that sounds like maybe a job for queer people for gay people oh, it's a fancy yes, uniform baby. so i'm mm-hmm. guessing the overlap was there <laughs> yeah and horses oh my god yeah so queer yeah exactly very 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 gay got their they have their hats their feathers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now there's also <laughs> a definition uh that you have in the book uh that some think is the origin of it as well i didn't know this Shakespeare might have given us the word drag, and he used it as an acronym, dressed resembling a girl. I don't think that's true, but I have heard that a bunch of times. They said that on Drag Race, I remember, in one of the early seasons. Oh, yeah. People give Shakespeare too much credit. (laughs) Honestly, and like, if we're being real, Shakespeare was like the R.L. Stein of his time. Probably a lot of (laughs) ghostwriters. It wasn't as great as you think it was, but good for her. Anywho, okay. (laughs) I people sometimes talk about the like the boy players in Shakespeare's time being yeah. like a kind of drag, but I, and I was joking like it's actually a little they're like the Rue girls of the Elizabethan era like <laughs> these lost lost children who get like swept into these like kind of difficult contracts and managers <laughs> take a huge portion, um, but they were stars they were they stars. Were stars. <laughs> When we come back from this break, Sasha tells us how she got into drag. But first, y'all know how I do. I ask you this every episode. If you like the show, review it, subscribe to it on your favorite podcast app. Also, tell your friends about this show IRL. That's the best way to spread the gospel of Intuit. Tell your people in the flesh. Thank you very much. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get specific on you. We've talked a bit about the history, but when did you start doing drag? Like the first even inkling of drag in your life. When was it? What was it? 
Tell us. I do say I started drag as as a child when I was yeah. four years old and saw The Wizard of Oz. I wanted to become the Wicked Witch of the West. I just identified not with her. <laughs> yeah, fuck Dorothy. <laughs> I'm like, that tourist destroyed that poor green lady's sister and stole her clothes. <laughs> Give me back my slippers. I'm the only one that knows how to use them. They're no use to you. Like many young gay kids, I, despite everyone's fear of her, of this character, I like fell in love with her. Yeah. Well, and also this is a thing that happens with movies like The Wizard of Oz and like every Disney movie the villains are having the most fun and the villains have feel the most free in their body. Yeah. Like the villains yeah. have the most freedom of movement and they're most in touch with themselves. Like Ursula knows her body. Right. And Ariel was almost scared of hers. You have your looks, your pretty face, and don't underestimate the importance of a body language. And it's mm. like, even in The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy's scared of everything, but that witch, she's doing it. There's like right. a certain beauty, not just in the looks of someone like the witch in The Wizard of Oz, but like the freedom they have in their own body. And for me, it's like, oh, that's drag. That's kind of drag. Right. I mean, uh, Ursula literally drawn after Divine. Bam. Yes. So <laughs> yeah. I guess there's the possibility. This is my criticism of Disney. This is why I'm not a Disney gay. Um, they, I feel like they literally... <laughs> chose queer codes of behavior to try to s make people register quickly as like, oh, that person's bad or scary, mm -hmm. which reinforces mm -hmm. all these fears in society. Like, mm -hmm. in real life, the people doing violence are usually very, like, uptight and not comfortable with themselves. It would be the opposite. Yep. The people just living their lives, not hurting anyone. That's who's fabulous. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, fairy tales aren't real life. They are propaganda. They, they sure are. They sure are. <laughs> so back to little you, yeah. seeing Wizard of Oz, how do you start doing drag? What's the first little bit of drag that you allow yourself to do? I started performing for my parents, and I would insist on doing shows if they had people over. And I would do The Death of the Wicked Witch. <laughs> So I would have a volunteer who would like mime <laughs> hurling the bucket of water on me and oh I would find God. some blanket and then shrivel down screaming and then like <laughs> crawl out of it and be like, she's dead. That's the end. <laughs> and how old were you when this is happening? I was like, I was four. I so a very dark-sided child. <laughs> oh, no. The best kind of child. Oh, my God. That's yeah. amazing. Um, you write in the book that as you start to just become an artistic, creative youth doing things like that, you get a lot of support from yeah. your grandmother, Dina. Yeah. She sounds incredible. Tell our listeners who she is. I don't know her, but I'm in love with her. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I wanted people to fall in love with like the women that I love. And yeah. I try to like carry on. None of these women are, are with us anymore. I feel like they all died when I was way too young, including my mom. And I want to carry on their their unique version of, of femininity and their like badass approach to life further into the universe and share their stories because I know they shaped yeah. me. And yeah. Grandma Dina was Grandma Dina was an immigrant. She was born in Harbin, Manchuria, in like a Jew Russian. I guess they were from Ukraine, part of the Russian Empire, but Jewish. 
they spoke Russian, Yiddish, and my grandma spoke, I think she spoke some Manchu as well. Um, hmm. And she came, they were under attack from from Japanese army during World War II and came on a boat to San Francisco in the 30s. And she wanted to be an actress. So <laughs> she, but she like was terrible, supposedly. This is her version <laughs> of the story. Or she was like too nervous to ever go to, give a good audition, which Aww. I'm a very nervous performer myself. So I'm like, okay, we got it, Grandma. And <laughs> we're pushing through the nerves to be on stage. And she really encouraged me to, to be an actor, to perform or whatever that meant. And she would dress up with me. So we'd both put on drag, I guess. I'd go, she had a kind of theatrical style herself. Then I write in the book that she said, she would tell me that like, oh, when you, you've been through a hard life, um, when you've seen war, you cling to like beautiful things and a glamorous life. And so she spent like an hour putting on makeup and curling her hair. And my other, my other grandma was much more like Protestant Midwestern, like mm-hmm. no makeup. My uh-huh. mom was kind of like a hippie, so no makeup, no dolls, okay. and no fashion. Yeah. But this yeah. Grandma Dina had the sequins, she had the high heels, the purses, the perfumes. So she I was really it. my entry point to that. Yeah. Humor. Tell me, go back to the first drag performance you did, first lip sync where you felt like, oh, I'm really good now. Everything has fallen <laughs> into place. Was there a certain performance where you're like, oh, it clicked? I I developed a Gollum performance that I've since <laughs> performed all over the world. <laughs> it's yes. so ridiculous. Um, and it, it starts with, with a bunch of performances about love and mm. becomes about like um, someone else has the engagement ring that I'm dreaming of. And that Ooh. is the catalyst the precious for, for me becoming yeah Gollum and I did the lip sync to, with both Gollum and Sneagle fighting what did you say me from her um, and did a transformation from like a glamorous 1950s like ingenue to Gollum <laughs> but in my mind like that's actually like a, a beautiful transformation. Hell and yeah. then in that, of course, in that famous scene from Lord of the Rings, Smeagol kind of frees themselves from <laughs> this like ring obsessed voice. And then I performed Kate Bush Wuthering Heights <laughs> as <Whoa>! Gollum. <laughs> uh, with like the with the full choreography that, oh that she does. Um, I'm telling you, Bushwick Queens. Right? No one does it better. <laughs> no, who, who who else is doing this? That's like a normal day out in Bushwick to <laughs> uh, <laughs> to a Manhattan audience. That I, that was like a Halloween special. So mm. <laughs> I started getting booked on Halloween all through the month of October. Bob the Drag wow. Queen gave me my first Manhattan booking. Really? Because of that number. Oh my god! That kind of like was my calling card for a while. I, I was that. like freaky yeah. elf here. Gollum teeth monster. You're now a drag race winner. You're about to have a best-selling book on your hands. It's mainstream, right? And drag feels so much mainstream. And I'm thinking about a piece that a colleague of mine wrote at New York Magazine, Alex Jung. He wrote several years ago when drag race was really hitting its stride that the success of that show and the success of drag 
would present a challenge to the culture itself. And it's the challenge mm. that happens when a subculture becomes the culture, when mm. a subculture becomes mainstream. Has that been a problem for you? Does it feel like a problem or, or, or is it just good? Hmm. Perhaps the fear coming from the subculture is that we don't want to lose track of what makes our art so so special and important to us. The fact that it is a home and a necessary opportunity for people who don't have maybe other advantages, people who who need an art like drag simply to have a platform at all. Um, and perhaps as as our art becomes part of mainstream culture, we see like mainstream power imbalances and hierarchies come into our world. Mm, like what? How we're going to make sure that it's not just people who come from money with connections, um, people who are young or like fit conventional ideas of beauty or attractiveness, like how our art becomes a space for disruptors and for people with great ideas who don't have those resources of various kinds. Because I think at its best, that is what drag offers, is oh, totally. possibilities beyond that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the challenge as it becomes part of mainstream culture. Because in the attempt to appeal to mainstream audiences, sometimes we try to like look identical to oh, yeah. mainstream pop culture. I think it were best when we're like a wink and a, I don't know, like a brush off away from yeah. the norms that are accepted. Oh, totally. Who do you most need or want to read your book and why? Mm. I imagined lots of different people reading this book. I read it like pretending to be like a radical activist who feels like drag is too commercial. I read it as like a grandma who worries that's too shocking. Um, I just want people to be surprised and to give it a try. And I guess I, w I wonder what someone what, like a young person like me would think reading this book. I know how much this would have spoken to me as a kid. And I feel like there's people, or as even like a teenager in my 20s, like I needed something like this. Yeah. So if it can reach someone like myself in anywhere in the world of any background, I think that would be a success. Yeah. Part of me wants to say, all the young queer babies need to read this because all of the history that's in this book is letting people know you aren't alone. You were never alone. This has been around forever. You're okay. Yeah. But in this moment, I'm kind of like, make Ron DeSantis sit in a quiet room for five hours and read this motherfucker. You know, make all of these right? politicians doing this anti-drag yes. bullshit. Read this book. Do you think about know. these guys a lot? They don't know. And it's like... I, I don't know. I think about them all the time and how much they piss yeah. me off. Do you think about these politicians all the time? I do. I, I think about them. I think about like what they... I, I wonder if they really mean what they say or if it's all rhetoric. I know it doesn't matter because it has the same effect. But mm -hmm. like, do they really... Are they really that confused about this art form being dangerous? It seems impossible. But... If anything could convince them, like, all the stories in here, if that can't convince them that this is a benevolent yeah. part of world culture, Literally. then they're beyond saving. I mean, Grandma Dina can convert anybody. I uh, she, she did. She would pull <laughs> over her car 
and tell people to stop smoking. Because <laughs> she oh was like, goodness. I'm gonna tell your I'm gonna tell your mother that I just saw you smoking. <laughs> Being a smoker herself, of course. That's <laughs> but, wild. You know, thinking again about all these politicians causing bullshit on y'all's backs. Um, are you hopeful about the future of drag? You've written this opus on the history of drag, but yeah. does the future of it look bright to you, given what's going on right now everywhere? I mean, not the laws. That does not look very promising at all. But the yeah. drag community is incredible right now. I've been going out more and more kind of post-pandemic and now that I finished the book and I have some time. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a whole new generation of drag artists on the scene, at least here in Brooklyn. But I just got traveled to San Francisco and got to meet some there. It's like obviously partially inspired by all the success and visibility of RuPaul's Drag Race, but a generation that's also informed themselves about the history and the political importance and is engaged in trans liberation and in feminism and in the Black Lives Matter movement. And what that has done for drag is incredible. And I see people who are great artists and really smart thinkers. And I think there is a lot of hope to be found in what what is going to be here in this scene. And I know, you know, they've never stopped us from existing before. That's not going to happen. It may be bleak and painful, but it's still going to be there and it's going to be fucking fierce. So at least there's that. Well, listen, I am so grateful for your book, grateful for your art. I appreciate what you do and you taking the time to talk about it with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sam. I love your podcast. Listeners, go find Sasha Velour's book wherever you get your books. It is called The Big Reveal, and it's an illustrated manifesto of drag. Intuit is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Jelani Carter, Taka Zen, and Gabby Grossman. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by the Breakmaster Cylinder. Oh, also, before we go... Last question for you, because I got to ask, this episode is going to run April 11th. The finale of this latest season of Drag Race is April 14th. If I don't ask you for a prediction, I won't have done my job. (laughs) Who's going to win? I I do think Sasha Colby will win and deserves it. She is the past, present, and future of drag to me. I mean, I I do love them all, and I've, I've gotten to know Lux a little bit. Here in Brooklyn, I love Mistress, and Anitra is obviously a superstar. But I'm very... I've been rooting for Sasha Colby for a long time. Honestly, I agree. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.